Hi, and welcome back to OA on Air via social distancing. I'm Kyan Isaacson. This week, it's all about the inauguration. Suzanne Morse talks to Eric Smith, Adam Abrams, and Jessica Stout from our Seven Letter Washington, D.C. office about all the things in the planning that go into Inauguration Day festivities. And in two minutes with Tom, Tom reflects on some of the inaugurations he has attended in years past and some of the outstanding moments of this week. This is Suzanne Morse, and I'm here today with some of my colleagues from Seven Letter, Eric Smith, Adam Abrams, and Jessica Stout, who all have some experience with either managing big political events like an inauguration or a convention, or working in a new presidential administration. And we're here to talk about this week's inauguration and the first few days of the new Biden-Harris administration. Welcome, Eric, Adam, and Jessica to OA on Air. Thank you. Great to be here. Thanks. Thanks. So why don't we just start with what were your impressions of the Biden-Harris inauguration? Of course, understanding that this was an inauguration unlike any other. Well, Zarek, I think they did a great job. I, I think that uh, it was extraordinary uh, uh, opportunity to talk about who Joe Biden is, who Kamala Harris is, uh, what their goals are, and 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 really, you know, the, the thing about inaugurations uh, that are different than any of these other political events is they're very personal. Um, you learn, uh, you know, my experience certainly is that the, the president-elect and vice president-elect um, are very engaged with these events and um, are very aware of the impact of things. So uh, there are a lot of um, personal notes in the, in, over the course of the week, and you can learn a lot about the president-elect and vice president-elect through those events. And this is Adam, and I, I agree with that. I, I also think it was just really well fit for the moment. Um, I think the president's speech uh, and some of the events that followed uh, reflect not just who he is, but what we need to do to bring the country together, which was his goal. And I think also reflect on, without a lot of policy specifics, uh, some of the broad goals. And obviously, we've seen him get to work right away. So um, I, I thought it was it was well fit for the moment. So, Eric, you were the creative director for the Obama-Biden inaugurations in 2009 and 2013. I think people would be interested to know what behind the scenes is like for such, you know, such a large event and one where um, the eyes of the world are, are watching you. What's it like um, being on the team that's responsible for that? Sure. And, uh, um, I could talk a little bit about that. And and, and Jessica was a collaborator of mine through some, some of those events as well. Um, you know, I like to say inaugurations are a little bit like Forrest Gump's box of chocolates. You, you never know what you're going to get. Uh, they're, they're very different. Um, uh, and I don't think there's any, you know, looking at inaugurations, there's no one rule. You know, if you look at the two I worked on, um, they were very, very different. Uh, the, the, the 2009 inauguration of President Obama was... Um, was a huge moment. It was a cultural moment. It, it represented generational change. It represented uh, a coming of age in a lot of ways for many, many Americans in, in, in the political system. And it, it, it represented a, a lot of, of, of kind of in, uh, institutional and infrastructure change in the American political system. And, and there was a lot of enthusiasm for it. Um, 
So really what we were doing, you know, in 2009 was just trying to harness all that excitement and all that enthusiasm and all that energy and somehow figure out how to put it together for people to um, um, share in one experience. Uh, you know, the 2009 uh, inauguration was a lot like the 2008 campaign, which was, you know, we felt we had a wind in our back. There were a lot of resources. We had extraordinary talent volunteering to be there. We had um, extraordinary uh, 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 opportunities to, 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 you know, to stage a, a major event on the Lincoln Memorial or, or even just to have as many people as we had crowding the national mall, which had kind of been unheard of at that point and, and ways to sh have, make sure that they're sharing the experience as much as possible too. You know, fast forward 2013 was a very different time in America. Uh, it was a reelection. So that's um, in, 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 in inherently different. Um, there's obviously a lot less enthusiasm. The country was going through some difficult economic times. We were still struggling to rebuild a little bit from the economic crash. The president and vice president at the time certainly were not looking to have an extravagant event um, at a time when so many were having a difficult, uh, were, were, handling, were dealing with difficult economic circumstances. So it's a much more muted, much more understated event um, uh, requiring a lot less work and a lot less time. I'll say that one of the really interesting, you know, kind of different thing about inaugurations is, you know, there's a, a very, like any election or any event, there's a very finite period of time. The difference is that, um, you know, it kind of kicks off in late November uh, uh, and ends, in, as you know, in the mid, you know, mid, mid January. But you've got a big block of the holidays in the middle, too, which kind of right. a huge logistical challenge um, in getting there. Um, you know, I, I, as I said, every inauguration is different. And I think this inauguration for this year's for, for the 2021 planners was probably two inaugurations. You know, I mean, one, they, they had COVID to deal with, which is unheard of. I suspect they had a plan and how to go do things. And then January 6th and the siege on the Capitol changed that uh, in a lot of ways. Um, sure, the original plan was to have 25,000 troops uh, stationed uh, around the ceremony. So, um, you know, I, I, my, my hat goes off to the 2021 planners because they not only had to plan one inauguration, I feel like they probably had to plan two. Yeah, and I think the point that you make about the difference between, for instance, the 09 and the 2012 um, inauguration is really interesting because I do think when you're at the start of a new administration, all you're doing is presenting your vision and it's generally hopeful um, when you're in the the start of a second administration that becomes as much about talking about your record as well as pre presenting a vision and sort of translating that creatively, I think is an interesting challenge. And I suspect that the, uh, the Biden Harris team had a somewhat interesting challenge based on what you just said, because they did, they do still have to present a hopeful vision for the future, but they were not going to ignore what happened on January 6th. Um, so, uh, so Jessica, you worked on this year's DNC's convention, uh, the Democratic National Committee convention, uh, which of course shifted a lot of events from in-person to uh, virtual events. Can you talk about both the challenges and, and the opportunity that that presented? Yeah, sure. Um, I think a huge challenge for any kind of 
um, virtual, particularly the virtual television event, is just kind of the content generation piece of it, which I think is true across any organization that's looking to kind of switch their their in-person events to a virtual platform. Um, but it was it was true at the DNC and it was true in the inauguration too. Um, you know, trying to source the real people and the members and um, everyone to shoot their own content um, actually presented an incredible logistical challenge, not only to, um, you know, getting good content that people could watch and was really interesting, um, but, you know, adding the COVID and the pandemic rules um, in local jurisdictions around all of that, um, you know, we would have You'd have someone who had their wife as kind of a, a pseudo stage manager for things. And um, that just kind of, you, you know, you, you got a lot of varying content that you had to stitch together to tell one story. Um, and I think, uh, you know, a piece, if we're talking, you know, largely about message and things, that's obviously a huge challenge, but it's just generally logistically, um, you're talking about a lot of footage, a lot of content to sort through and put together and you know, a lot to store. Everyone in our production team is also working remotely. So figuring out how to um, transition what used to be, you know, one big editing house into um, a remote environment is also a huge challenge that, that you know, all organizations are facing today. So I, I think that was a huge um, challenge for, for, for us at the DNC for sure. But I think the one piece that has, you know, made it really worth it is um, we've taken a lot of innovative production elements and put them out there and I think expanded our reach to a network of Americans that maybe not wouldn't have engaged in this process otherwise. Um, you know, I think people tuned into the inauguration um, in a way that they maybe wouldn't have in a traditional format. I think, you know, I think people, to Adam's earlier point, it was it was the right inauguration for this moment and I think America really wanted um, wanted the, what, what happened this week. Um, and so we had more eyeballs on that. Um, and I think truly the DNC, um, you know, engaging with other people and bringing um, a more relatable television program to people. I think, um, I hope we don't lose that when we return to in-person events. Yeah, I was going to ask, I mean, how much do you think um, a lot of these innovations uh, and this is for all three of you, are going to carry forward, um, going forward. Yeah, I mean, I think we found a lot of, um, a lot of remote things can work still, um, even if we're not, even if we are returning to in-person events, you know, we, um, we figured out how to do that. And so, um, you know, maybe people are tapping into different kinds of talent um, as well that are located in different places. Um, and now we know how to work as a team in that manner. Um, I, I will say it's a little disappointing when you're finishing an event and <laughs> you're, you're in your house and you're used to being in the arena and there's a big celebration. So I hope we don't lose that kind of celebration for those, all those hard workers who, um, put put a ton of time into the shows. And I'll say that, you know, the the national inaugural uh, live stream or not not even just the live stream, the, the televised event um, brought people, like Jessica was saying, into it. Um, I would find that a lot more compelling to keep that going. I mean, I, I've been to inaugural balls. They're great, but they are typically cold and crowded and um, this from the comfort of my couch, um, with so many people we know watching was pretty exciting. So, you know, I think that's one, one thing we should try to keep. 
So Adam, um, you worked um, in, with for President Obama in his communications shop and, and as a spokesperson for him, and you began working in that capacity in that administration in April 2009. Talk a little bit about what it's like in the early days of administration, especially in terms of dealing with the media. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think everybody's kind of getting their sea legs under them um, right now. And um, actually saw on, on Twitter some reporters um, boasting last night how excited they were about how the Biden administration has regional communications directors. And they thought that was such a great, innovative thing. And um, as a former regional communications director at the White House, I was like, hey, what? We did this. And um, turns out some of these reporters just weren't reporting or were still in college during the Obama administration, which made me feel a little bit old. Um, but um, it's actually a really good thing to set up. And they were absolutely right that it's that it's vital. And our approach in the Obama administration was to treat it kind of like customer service. Um, so you get in there and you have reporters from 50 states and we divided it up into regions. But um, these are the papers and TV channels that people watch every day. Um, you know, we're in Washington or in Boston or wherever we are, we're sort of assume that, you know, New York Times or MSNBC is what people read or the Washington Post even, but um, local news and local TV are really still pretty huge for a lot of people. And so um, the people that read those outlets are looking to those reporters to get information from the new administration. And um, our approach was customer service, really, and um, try to answer as many of their questions as we could, as best we could. And, um, you know, it was tough because typically those questions kind of expired as the day expired. You couldn't really take it and take two days to find out the answer. So that was a bit of a challenge, um, especially early on. And I'll, and I'll tell one quick story, which I thought I always remember because it was, um, you know, out of the fire, into the out of the frying pan, into the fire kind of thing where, you know, it's your first few days there and a, a reporter from a, uh, a local outlet calls and says, so I heard that President Obama gives out boxes of chocolates when he gives private tours of the Oval Office. Not the candies, not the M&Ms that everyone's heard of, but uh, boxes of chocolates. And I heard that in my state, we make the boxes, not the chocolates, we make the boxes that the chocolates go in um, to um, give to these people that the president meets with. And can you find out, is that true? Um, and who pays for them? And, I, you know, this is like day whatever, three for me. I don't know however how early it was. And I said, how do I find out? who makes the boxes, but not the chocolates that the president gives out in the Oval Office for the select few people that get private tours of the Oval Office. And um, it started with, okay, who do I ask internally that might know, who might know? And you run it down, eventually you find the person who knows the procurement history of every item that goes through the doorway. And, um, you know, I was glad to be able to get back to that reporter and give them an answer. And they were in fact, correct. It was made by a company in their state. Um, and so it was just a, a good resolution. But, you know, when that came across, I was looking at my computer screen, like, how am I going to figure this thing out? I just barely learned where the bathrooms were. So, um, you know, you don't really get a lot of um, time to, to get accustomed to uh, your surroundings. And I think for the people just, you know, one, not that a lot of uh, administration officials are listening, although I hope they do, um, you know, they, my advice would be to, to try and take in your surroundings, but um, you're not going to have time to do it. You just got to start and start as best you can.
Yeah, and what's interesting about that story, of course, is those those kind of stories matter to to local journalists. You know, those those matter to the the people who are reading that story. They feel a sense of pride. So, you know, great that you were able to answer the question. Right. The president's giving out a local company's box and the brand new president who was just sworn in, you know, history making administration is you know, representing our state with these little gift packages he's give to, gives to everybody. And it was, a, you know, a positive story. These people aren't trying to, to pin you down. Um, it was a local company saying, hey, we did something that we're proud of. Yeah. Um, so, Eric, you're the founding partner of Seven Letter. What do you want our Boston audience to know about the company? Well, we are a full service public relations firm. Um Founded in Washington, D.C., but now co-headquartered in Washington and Boston uh, after our merger with the uh, ONA communications team. Um, we, And our ex- expertise is really helping corporations, nonprofits, and, 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 and others uh, navigate change. Our specialty is really bringing experience and expertise to bear to make sure you are communicating as effectively as possible when your reputation, brand, or market position is either facing a threat or, 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 or a challenge, um, uh, or, or hopefully an opportunity. <laughs> Oftentimes, there's good things, too. Uh, we've been doing that since 2006. We've got a really kind of great team, and we're really proud of what we've been able to accomplish together. Wonderful. So last question is for all three of you. Any final thoughts on this week? Well, I'll say I think the one, one big thing is, you know, just uh, I, I expect to see a lot more virtual events. I think companies and associations and uh, nonprofits are going to be moving more and more to these virtual meetings. And we just saw, you know, a small example of the power of them uh, uh, this week and what can be accomplished. And I think that the, you know, the, we used to think of these virtual events as really limiting and um, I don't think they need to be. So I think you'll see uh, a greater exploration of that um, space and uh, and and more and more work put into making these virtual events something that's really kind of uh, memorable. Yeah, I agree. And I hope that we, like Jessica was saying, take a lot of this and, and keep the best of it. I don't, I don't want to speak for her, but I think that was, that's a really good point. Uh, and I think it's a, a great thing that to try and take going forward. Yeah, and I think, um, you know, at in the name of the game here in 2021, where people are looking to engage people on Instagram and Twitter and TikTok and, you know, all the platforms, I think virtual events is just an, another one of those platforms where people can figure out how to generate some interest, interesting content that, you know, um, tells their story in a way that's maybe a little bit targeted towards their audience um, and figures out, continues to figure out how to engage people in this remote environment. I think it's going to be, as Eric and Adam said, and as we've sort of demonstrated today in this in this conversation, I think it's going to be a really important thing moving forward. Well, thank you all for joining us on OA on Air today. Thank, thank you. you. It's a great time. Two minutes with Diane and Tom. Two minutes with Tom. How are you, sir? We're doing fine. We're doing fine. What a special week. What a week. What a special week. You know, um, I wanted to talk about about the the inaugural ceremonies because I thought they were very special. I thought they were special because of the of the of, of the meaningfulness and the themes that came across. 
calmness, the uniting, the you know the the transparency, um, were all just wonderful wonderful themes. In addition to peace, looking forward, coming together, uh, working with people and nations worldwide. I can I can I can honestly say that I've been to every Democratic inauguration since since John Kennedy. Um, That's and, they're, and they're the only two, the Biden and the Kennedy inaugural ceremonies are the only two I really remember. The only speeches I really remember. Uh, the, 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 the priests that gave the blessings, I, I remember and what they had to say. But more importantly than all of that, I thought the day was stolen by Amanda Gorman. Oh my gosh! As a as a young poet laureate, uh, I, I think she stole the day. A hill she to climb. Incredible. A hill to climb. I, I remember Robert Frost at Kennedy inaugural ceremony being equally, uh, you know, equally important in theme and word. But this girl put it all together. And I, I, I was just not only astonished, I was impressed and pleased and proud. And um, I thought she was simply terrific. We could use more 22-year-olds like her, not just black, more 22-year-olds just like her. Uh, she Absolutely. She really captured the moment. She was, I felt like she was a reminder of something that we've all lost, which was, you know, the very best of what we can be as people. Um, and it was inspirational to see her and, and particularly her words were incredibly poignant. Um, her poise was unmatched and to your point, she was the star of the show. Um, and I, I don't think anyone has a problem with that. I don't think anybody has a problem everybody was talking about it, but I also thought, uh, J-Lo and Lady Gaga were great. Garth Brooks, I'm not really a fan of Garth Brooks, but the importance of him being there and having his audience predominantly from red states mm -hmm. singing a very important national hymn was unifying. Yes. I, I thought Lady Gaga's version of, of the Star Spangled Banner was fabulous. Um, and J-Lo was, was J-Lo. Um, I thought she was great. Um, it was a very special day. There was nothing in the way of a memorable line from Joe Biden, but all of those words were very appropriate for the times we're living in. And I thought they were very special. And it was, but it was still a great speech. You know, to yeah, your point, I don't speech. think there was any big takeaway because so much of it was important that he yep. had to say, and he delivered it in a way that was just truthful and and you know I, he used the word folks a lot <laughs> in the speech and for some reason I personally found that very comforting um it it just it brought it kind of let you breathe a sigh of relief which I think so many people did on on Wednesday and then we saw you know the the new press secretary get up and and be transparent and talk about truth and accuracy in White House briefings uh, yesterday, we saw Dr. Fauci look 
quite honestly, positively giddy uh, to be at a podium answering questions about science and, and medicine again in a way that he felt was honest and he was enjoying himself. Um, this whole week has just been instance after instance of reminders of what all of this is supposed to look like. It's a great way to wind it up. I appreciate all of what you've said and the promise of a brighter day is, is not only here in a sense, but it's still coming with the vaccines that are, are going to be brought about to everybody and for everybody. Not just in Massachusetts, not just the country, but as we know, we need it around the world to the rich and poor, to the haves and to the have-nots. And uh, it's coming. It's all coming. I love you, Kayan. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Tom. That's it for this week's episode of OA On Air via social distancing. Thanks for tuning in. Talk to you next week.